praise the Lord, mightiest prophet yes, of the now, Lord. Um, again, as we get our connection right, uh, beloved people, I am so indeed humbled to come to you again. I'm blessed to come to you again on a lunch hour session. And we have seen, uh, we've seen in the past teaching, in the past lunch hour teachings, and I know that the entire globe is changing right now. And those that I was waiting for, those that normally get released about 12.30 for their lunch, uh, for their lunch hour break, I know that right now probably they're all changing now. But uh, in the past teachings we have seen that it's very important to adhere to the instruction of the Lord that the Lord placed in the Bible. And the Lord Jehovah, He gave us the Bible as the compass to navigate the church and navigate the church. And again, uh, Senior Pastor Sophie, in case I am not clear or I'm cutting in my network, you simply switch it off, I will always call back. Did you hear me, please? Yes, please, my just prophet of the Lord. Yes, in case, because the teaching is very important. If my network is breaking, all you do is you cut it off air, and then I recall until we stabilize. Well, uh, beloved people, in the past we have seen very important teachings here. Um, we started with the rebuilding of the wall of your Christian salvation. And at that time, I focused on Christian porosity, porosity in Christian salvation, at which we looked at the several assaults, the several aspects of our daily lives on this earth that do assault, you can call them external insults or external assaults that uh, a barrage of them in your workplaces, in your lifestyle, in your daily lives that do assault, do attack your Christian salvation. And so at that time we focused on rebuilding the wall of your Christian salvation. And many issues came up, for example, I brought it to you, the question, what are those things that predispose, predispose your salvation to porosity, to attacks? What are those things that cause the, that, cause, that, that define, define the broken path of the wall of your Christian salvation? Remember he told Israel to build a strong wall, he told them to build forth a very strong wall around the place of worship in Jerusalem and to place some sentry towers also. So it's really not the wall alone, the strong wall, but also to put sentry towers for some watchmen to be there to see what is coming and announce to the people. And we even saw the hours of attack during the third watch where now there is always the attack. And there are so many ways to that already. So we looked at what are these things that allow the marauding Bedouins of today to come and trample and defile your worship place? The worship place of Jehovah that is the altar of your heart. And after looking at uh, Christian porosity, porosity in Christian salvation, and then uh, we also looked at laying the right foundation for your Christian salvation. And that turned out to be a very important message 
because in that message the Lord underscored a very important aspect of Christian salvation. The Lord said that most of the time many new believers are not given the opportunity to be able to lay forth the right strong foundation right from the word go. And we say in the laying of the right foundation to Christian salvation, that determines the longevity of your Christianity, the longevity of your salvation, the quality of your salvation as you are born again. And we saw that uh, foundation laying or foundational study or foundational courses, foundational teachings are those teachings that would bring to the new believer the nature of God. Who is the Lord? What is the position of God on sin? What is the position of God on his jealous nature? Meaning you cannot compare him with other gods as you take this road of Christian salvation. And so we looked at the, how God hates sin. That that has to be told as a foundation. What is the nature of God? What is his position on righteousness? What is his position on holiness? What is the will of God for mankind? The will of God for the church? What are the benchmarks for entry to heaven without which you don't enter? Foundational scriptures like Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. And then he finishes by saying, for without holiness, he lays the benchmark of heaven now, for without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. Meaning, those are teachings that should be embedded and ingrained in the life and heart and soul and mind of the Christian believer from the word go. So as they proceed in executing their Christian salvation, it is absolutely clear to them without any ambiguity whatsoever that this is the nature of God. This is the position of God on sin. This is how God looks at the sinner. This is what the covenant of grace looks like. Man enters there as a sinner. And the Lord is the Redeemer and Christ is the Deliverer of the covenant of grace. And we enjoy eternity owing to the eternal covenant between Christ and the Father. And that covenant is a higher law than the law of Moses. So we looked at the second teaching, which was essentially laying the right foundation for your Christian salvation. And we saw that either you lay the right foundation that is Christ Jesus the Lord, or you have no salvation at all. And we saw that the reason there is a fall, pastors all of a sudden after preaching for many years, then he's falling in sexual sin with a woman. Pastors after preaching righteousness for many years, all of a sudden he's now preaching money and lying with false Meaning the foundation was not well laid. And I say that this building of Christian salvation that we are building is a tall, heavy building that must reach high up into heaven thereby now asking for a foundation of the rock, a foundation of greater integrity. Well, after looking at the teaching on laying the right foundation for your Christian salvation, then, beloved people, we went on to look at the very important teaching on walking the narrow way. And that became a very powerful teaching. It became a milestone teaching because it really defined the narrative 
of Christian salvation, the lifestyle of Christian salvation. And then after that, then I came to you with the days of Noah, because the Bible says, like it was during the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Messiah. And so, having spoken about that, beloved people, I want to advance our lunch, our conversation, and I will really try to see how much I can squeeze this. I must finish at 2 p.m. to allow people to go back to their offices. If I have to do it tomorrow again to continue, I will. However, I must squeeze it up to 2 p.m. Now, today I want to look at crucifying the flesh. These are very serious teachings that when you get a hold of, you would see the eternal, glorious kingdom of God. And you see that all these teachings are essentially centered around the holiness of the church, the holiness requirements that God has laid on the church, the righteousness of the Lord in the church. How awesome are the times when the most lacking thing on the earth, and more so in Christian salvation, is righteousness. How powerful now to come to you at this hour when righteousness, the only thing that gives the church a longer shelf life, a shelf life of eternity, is righteousness. Righteousness is the only aspect of Christian salvation that separates us from all the other religions. The other religions are perishable, but Christian salvation has this hope beyond the tombs. This hope of eternity, meaning the longevity is eternal, is infinite, is everlasting, is eternity. And he says, only righteousness can extend the shelf life of a Christian believer to be eternal. How awesome, beloved people, that uh, this teaching, they dispense to you this most important and yet lacking aspect of Christian life called righteousness, the holiness of God. So today I want to look at crucifying the flesh, a very, very important aspect and part of Christian salvation, without which, again, there is no salvation. And very soon we are going to realize that when I talk to you, when I begin to talk to you, to come to you, and begin to engage you in this kind of discourse, I will essentially be talking to you about the doctrine of the cross. I'll be talking to you about the cross and the blood of Jesus. How awesome at the time when the church has deviated away from teaching the gospel of the cross and the blood. Remember, only the cross and the blood give power. The cross is the heart of the gospel, and the blood is the power unto the gospel, beloved people. And so today I would like to begin by reading our first scripture. It's a long sermon. This is really long. I don't know how far I can run. How fast? With many, many scriptures for you, beloved. And remember always when you teach, you must anchor yourself unto the word. The word is the compass. The word is the scale. The word is the navigator. And the reason I'm coming to you with this teaching globally is because on the 15th of January this year, the year 2017, the Lord took me up into the sky and then he showed me the church coming on a narrow road 
entering heaven, and the huge cloud that's almost the size of the earth opened, and I see I saw glory of steps, and I saw the church entering into eternity. This is now the central theme of the conversation the Lord is having with the church. And that's why in our calendar, this is the message beginning next year that I'll bring to Hong Kong, bring to Malaysia, bring to Portugal, bring to those countries. I don't know which four countries the Lord will bring me to, but probably around that direction. Bring to Peru. The, 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 there are so many nations, but we can only come to as we manage. And this channel, this platform becomes very critical, beloved people. So I have seen the church entering. And that's why it's important now that we nail down, we pin down the most important aspect and facet of Christian salvation. That when the day and the hour that is unknown come, you don't miss eternity. Now, crucifying the flesh, I want to begin with the book of Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 to 25. So beloved people, turn with me to the book of Galatians. Chapter 5, if you will, Galatians, chapter 5, verses 23 to 25, to open up this whole conversation. The book of Galatians, chapter 5, and he says this from verse 23 on, we can start from 22 if you so will, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, verse 23, gentleness, self-control, and he says, against such things there is no law, verse 24 he says, those who belong to Christ, in other words, those who are in Christ Jesus, in other words, those who are born again, and we are going to define them today. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. In other words, he's saying, those who are born again, those who profess this salvation of the cross, salvation of Christ Jesus. Those who are born again, they have already crucified the sinful affections of the flesh. They have crucified the sinful pleasures of the flesh. That's what he's saying here. Verse 25 he goes on to say, Let us not become conceited, meaning complacent, provoking and envying each other. Just to pursue this scripture, beloved people, step by step. Now, laying before you, beloved people, stepwise, the importance of crucifying the flesh. And it's going to be such a profound teaching, beloved people, that will stun you quite a bit. The book of Galatians chapter 5, if you start from verse 16 to 17, to open up to you, laying before you the importance of crucifying the flesh. That's where I want to begin today. And it's going to get quite profound because of what is ahead of us here. Galatians chapter 5, beloved people, let's start 16. He says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires 
of a sinful nature. Then chapter 5 verse 17 he says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. And he says, they are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That is very powerful, beloved people. And where he says, verse 14, verse 13, again, beloved, verse 16, he says, verse 17, he says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. I read King James now, verse 17, he says, For the flesh lasted against the Spirit, he says here. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. That is now King James. And then amplified again verse 17 he says, For the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit. Yeah? And the desires of the spirit are opposed to the flesh. Godless human nature, for these are antagonistic to each other, continually withstand and in conflict, again, withstanding and in conflict with each other, so that you are not free, but are prevented from doing what you desire to do. So, beloved people tuned in, in your workstation, some of you in your workplaces, in universities, some in Australia, some in the U.S., all across the United States, across Europe, South Korea, Australia, Singapore, all the way to Hong Kong, and the nations of Africa, Nigeria, down to South Africa, all the way from Cairo. Beloved people, the importance I'm laying before the church today, the importance of crucifying the flesh, is because when Christ Jesus was sent unto us, by God the Father, as the carrier of the covenant of salvation, the covenant of the grace, the covenant that would release us from the bondage of sin and give us a new lease of life. What do you see? Christ Jesus brought a spiritual covenant. No wonder the cross sits at the very center of the mission of the covenant of the grace the Messiah brought. The reason the cross sits at the center of the gospel of Jesus is because there is a perpetual conflict between the flesh and the spirit such that whichsoever wins then ruleth thee will rule you and yet the salvation that we receive from heaven, from Christ Jesus, is a spiritual salvation from the spirit man that is Jesus. And that's why in my introduction and preamble here, what I'm laying right before you beloved people, is first and foremost the significance of crucifying the flesh the importance of bringing to an end to crucifixion 
the sinful affections of the flesh. Why? Because they are the ones that will mess you up on that final day of reckoning, the day of the truth, the day when we will know who really was born again on this earth. All those that say, I am born again, I am born again, I am spirit filled. On that day, that is the day that will really tell us who was really born again on this earth. And as I proceed, beloved people, the book of Romans chapter 6, again, laying significance, simply laying before you the significance in this preamble, the significance of crucifying the flesh, so that you may now walk free from the sinful affection of the flesh that I intend on bringing you to hell, beloved people. And the reason you see the tremendous apostasy, the fall in the church that you see today, is because the flesh of the Christian believer, the flesh of the church, has gone virtually unchallenged, uncrucified. So that's why you see the flesh ruling the church today. That's why you see the women dressing the way they dress. That's why you see the men dressing the way they dress. That's why you see the men behaving the way they are behaving. That's why you see the abortions in the church. That's why you see the worship where people almost worship in nudity or in immorality. Those dances are immoral. You must have wondered, does this really please the Lord? That is the act of the flesh. The action of the flesh unimpeded, unchallenged, uncrucified. That's why you see a pastor can stand up and give a false prophecy without fearing the Lord. Because if you fear the Lord, you cannot. That is the flesh unchallenged and crucified. So this is a central teaching for those of you that would like to see the eternal kingdom of God. And I believe that all of you do. The book of Romans chapter 6, verse 6, you can read the whole thing at home. But for the purposes of time and a quick lunch hour session for you. Already I have only one hour 15. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. How powerful, beloved people. Now he lays greater emphasis on the significance of crucifying the flesh. Because he says that the old self was crucified. And behold, the new self is you. And he says that the old self submitted itself completely, absolutely, and totally to the sinful nature. To the flesh, beloved people. And he said, and you were then slaves to sin. But he said, behold, you that are born again, behold, now you are a new creation. Why? Because you are now born again. And when you are born again, your identity has changed. And he said, when you submitted yourself in the past, in the sinful nature, and to sin, a slave to sin, serving sin, 
Now behold, you are another master. His name is the Lord Jesus, and you are now slaves or servants and righteousness, he says. And he says that the sinful nature now should not have any control over you. And he says that is the true definition of Christian salvation. Somebody born again. Hey, how beautiful in the middle of the day, beloved people, to come to you with such a purifying message lingo. Evangelium lingo, lingo in Spanish. A very pure and clean gospel. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. The significance, I am still dwelling on the significance of crucifying the flesh. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Look at what he says here. He says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Wow. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. How beautiful, beloved people. He is now saying that the act, the act of crucifixion, the act of crucifying the flesh is the true definition of an overcomer, is the true process that leads to victory in Christian life, in other words. And he says, the kingdom of heaven has benchmarks, has standards, and a yardstick for measuring that standard. And he says, that only those that shall overcome will enter eternity in heaven with God. Wow! How important then to crucify the flesh and overcome the flesh because he's talking about the overcoming of the flesh. And in the same passage, beloved people, the book of Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, still laying same emphasis on the significance before I go into the exact mechanics, the mechanism, and the process of crucifying the flesh in the church today. That the church may be born again today. Revelation 12, 11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. How powerful, beloved people. How mighty to read that. Because he's essentially saying in our introduction today, he's saying the art of overcoming, the act of overcoming, the artfulness, the practice of overcoming the adversary, the enemy on this earth, he says, is an act that passes through the cross by the power of the blood of the Lamb. And he says, 
if you are not to die, to die to self, meaning that if you are not to crucify the flesh, and then overcome, how powerful, beloved people, that this becomes now the identity of the citizenry of the kingdom of God, plus Uzalendo Hour, Uzalendo Hour, their love for their citizenry. How powerful, precious people. First John chapter 5, still laying the foundation on overcoming, on crucifying the flesh. In other words, overcoming the flesh. After which I will walk with you stepwise into a deeper conversation on how present-day believer. Those of you tuned to me, listening to me from other churches also, those who are not born again, those who are born again, those who are in this tremendous ministry in your millions, I know millions and millions are tuned in now, and of course many of them in churches right now, all of you together, that today you may know what is the process? What does it take to crucify the flesh that the spirit life, the spirit church, the spiritual church that enters the spiritual kingdom of God may be passed out today, not tomorrow. The book of 1 John chapter 5, beloved people, verses 4 to verse 5, this is what he says. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now he calls it overcoming the world. It was flesh. And now you are beginning to understand that actually the flesh is the world. Now you are beginning to understand that the enemy, the biggest problem to your spiritual salvation is your flesh, is you. It is the flesh that the enemy engages. The sensualism, the feelings of the flesh, the sinful desires, the affections, the sinful affections of the, of the flesh. And it says here, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? He asked very often. Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So he brings in now faith into Jesus. Those that subscribe to Christian salvation, he now defines them here. Those that are born again, those that are professing the salvation of the Messiah, of Christ Jesus of Nazareth, meaning those who are in Christ Jesus, beloved people. And as we finish with this first part of introduction, beloved people, I want you to understand that it's a serious conversation that the Lord has now launched with the church in introducing the significance, the importance of crucifying the flesh. Why? Because now we have already seen that the flesh, number one, is in constant conflict with your salvation. The flesh is the one now that fights, fights you, beloved people. And so now I want to transition because time is running. I want to slowly start transi transitioning, transiting 
very slowly into what is the process then? What is the process then? What is the meaning then of crucifying your flesh as a Christian believer? And I want to start with the lead scripture, beloved people. The lead scripture I have for you here is Christ Jesus. I want to look at Christ Jesus the Messiah. Christ Jesus, our one and only unassailable, unchallengeable, incontrovertible example, perfect and excellent example. Christian believer in the marketplace, in the present day church, those children at your workstation, in those law firms, in those medical clinics, the surgeons, the doctors, the nurses, the teachers, universities, I know you're meeting big large groups in universities, many, many universities are tuned in large numbers, churches full. How then does the Lord communicate the crucifixion of the flesh to the present day church. How can it be accomplished, in other words? I'm going to read two scriptures, and I say, the best example, the best teacher that ever taught the church, the crucifixion of the flesh, is Christ Jesus, the messenger of the cross himself. And so, I am going to look at Christ Jesus crucified and the message it portends, it projects and trumpets to you, the Christian believer that is listening to me from Auckland, New Zealand, Gisborne, New Zealand, Christchurch, New Zealand, Wellington, New Zealand, all the cities of Australia, all over Africa, the world, islands too. What is the message? Christ is communicating and the instruction therein about the present day believer crucifying this flesh that has really held them kidnapped, held them hostage, kidnapped the church. How then now do they crucify? How does the Spirit of the Lord help you to crucify the flesh? Let us look at Christ Jesus, and there is no better place to go to than Christ Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. The book of Matthew 26, beloved people, that is where crucifixion of the Messiah began, if you did not know. The crucifying of Jesus that is an example and instruction to us, the church, did not begin elsewhere except in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hey. And he says here, beloved people, the book of Matthew 26, I have four versions, but because I'm coming to you East African time, during lunch hour, I will really try to focus on one version, NIV for easy understanding, and then the rest of the versions we can read next time when we have the latitude of time. 
The book of Matthew 26, beloved people, verses 36 to 45. There are key things that I want to pull out from there. Very powerful instructing the church. What does it mean to crucify the flesh in the present day church? Matthew 26, verse 36. He says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 36, Matthew 26. Verse 37, Matthew 26. Verse 37 he says, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to sorrowful, to be sorrowful, to sorrowfully pray, pray, pray. Again, again, let me just begin verse 37. Let me just calm down a little bit because of time. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful, number one, and troubled, number two. Then he said to them, verse 38, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Oh, the travailing of the Messiah, beloved people. The crucifixion of the flesh. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39. Going a little further, he fell face with his face to the ground, face down, with his face to the ground, and prayed. And pay attention to this prayer, beloved people. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. I repeat, verse 39, going a little further, he felt, he, rather, he fell face down, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. I want to read verse 39, King James, he says. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Amplify faith, and going a little further, he threw himself upon the ground, on his face, and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, not what I desire, 
but as you will and desire. And he goes on to say, beloved people, verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Beloved people, how powerful a scripture. Verse 45. Again here it says, The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, Unless I drink it, may your will be done. Hey, he now advances the prayer. Again, 42, I repeat. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, in other words, for me, unless I drink it, may your will be done. How powerful, beloved people. Verse 43. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he then he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Verse 45. Then he returned to the disciples and said unto them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, and let us go. Here comes my betrayer. After that he was arrested and was taken and crucified, beloved people. So this one today, as we enter, we have, uh, we have uh, about 54 minutes to go. As we now enter the mainstream of this message, beloved people, and it's going to be a series, I'll come, up, come to you tomorrow if I can. We see, beloved people, that this, this encounter that the Messiah has with the cross, with the crucifixion of the flesh, with the travail of his mission, this at the Garden of Gethsemane, this is our lead scripture. This is the foundation. This is really our reference scripture for today on this blessed conversation on crucifying the flesh in the present day church. Crucifying the flesh in the life of the present day believer. The present day Christian.
There are many powerful things that come out of here. Number one, you see very clearly that when the Messiah comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, then all of a sudden, he begins to pass through a tremendous sorrow. He becomes so sorrowful, so troubled, and his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, overwhelmed even unto the point of death. And when he comes there, the sorrow was so big. Why was the sorrow so big? Before I go to the reason, first of all, let me make the architectural arrangement that is in the garden here very clear and apparent to you. First and foremost, beloved people, first and foremost, when now the Messiah wants to begin to reveal the passion of the Christ, the suffering of the Christ, to reveal the Christian salvation he brought, the salvation of the cross, the crucifixion of the flesh. When the real hour now arrives, for the Messiah to finally reveal the true covenant of the grace, the true salvation that brings man to heaven. Then you find something interesting here. He says, He took with him, I'm reading Matthew 26, 37, He took with him Peter, and the two sons of the baby, he took along with him Peter and the two sons of the, the baby. Peter and the two sons of the baby. When it was time for the Christ to show the crucifixion of the church, of the flesh, and the destruction thereof, he did not take everybody. He did not. He takes Peter and the two sons of the baby. Come with me to Matthew chapter 17, beloved people, verses 1 to 4, that you may understand why he took Peter and the two sons of the baby. Matthew chapter 17, beloved people, verses 1 to 46. The title says, The Transfiguration. And it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Verse 2, Matthew 17. There he was 
Wano wenye msini And again tomorrow in sin Come back on Sunday And go back to sin He's saying Only today That I've beheld the glory of the Messiah That I've seen his transfiguration And the glory that God the Father Has apportioned him His glory To them it is revealed Because only they can understand it And choose it Hey Why do I say so? Why does he say so? Because he's saying, my soul is overwhelmed and my sorrow to the point of death. And he says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. The Messiah, when he came, to the point of now crucifying the flesh. The ultimate point of the mission of the Messiah, the agenda of God, now to be established on the earth. They took a few, but when it came to that point, he was so overwhelmed, outweighed to the point that the Messiah wanted to give up. Hey! The Messiah wanted to give up. He almost broke down. He said, I cannot manage this. Hey! How tremendous, beloved. Today you are going to understand the treasure of Christian salvation. The Messiah said, I am not able. I cannot carry this. It is too much for me. The Messiah wanted to give up. Hey! Today you will understand the treasure of the Christian salvation that you behold today. It is not a joke. He says, My Father, it is possible. May this cup be taken away from me. Yet not my will, but as you will. Hey. Hey. But if it is not possible, my father, to take away this cup from me, if that be your will, then I will do it. that the Christian salvation that he gave us that he gave the church is being defined here in this scripture and he's saying that it was so heavy on the Messiah to the point he wanted to give up he said he cannot manage And he said that there was such an enormous wrath of God, the wrath of God against sin. Hey. The entire wrath of God 
against sin. And you know the eternity of sin. The entire wrath of God was resting on him. How heavy, beloved people. How heavy. He's saying the sword of the justice of God was now awakened, had been awakened against him to pay the price for sin. It was heavy. It was really heavy. It was not easy. The terror, the terror of God's wrath, the terror of the judgment of God was upon him, was now beholding on him. Hey! The wrath of God, the cup of the wrath of God was now pouring on him to carry the sin of the entire universe. How heavy, beloved people. It was too much. That's why he fell face down. He cried. He fell and cried. He said, no, I cannot manage. I want to give up. Then let someone else be, not me. I cannot manage. Hey! And then he says, However difficult it is, however unbearable it is, however impossible it is, beloved people, he's saying, if it was my will, I don't want to do it. It was too heavy for me. I'm there if I cannot manage. But if it is your will, God the Father in heaven, then let me do it however difficult. Hey! There is the message for the church. Then he went there and did it to the cross. He went to the cross and did it. Then at the end he said, it is finished. Hey! What is the Lord saying to the church today? The present day church all over the globe tuned in right now about the crucifying of the flesh, the crucifixion of this flesh that is disturbing the church. He's saying, if it was so difficult unto the Messiah, If it was that much difficult to the Messiah to crucify the flesh and yield forth the salvation of eternity to the church. And the Messiah says, only because my Father in heaven, only because it is your will, I will now do it. However difficult. So if it is that much difficult, even to the Messiah. And then he says, because, however, because of the will of God, I must not do it. Why has the present day church refused to submit to the will of God and crucify the flesh? And instead, they have taken up their own will. If you look at them, it is their own will that is reigning 
in the church. Hey, why? If the Messiah was teaching the church in this garden and instructing the church in this garden, that it is going to be crucial and critical that you crucify the flesh. And when it comes to crucifying the flesh, it is not easy. However, because it be the will of God the Father, you must surrender and say, I will just do it because it is the will of God the Father. He says, however, not my will, but your will. Because if you ask me, it was too heavy. I cannot do it. If you ask me, it is too sorrowful. I am overwhelmed. The entire wrath of God on me is overbearing on me. I cannot manage. But because it's your will, I will just do it. Why hasn't the present day church learned that this, this is the definition of the crucifixion of the flesh? Hey, they submitting unto the will of God. And this is a very powerful moment for other people. Because you see, right from the beginning, that in the garden, in the garden of Eden, the Lord laid forth the will of God to man. In the garden of Eden, God Almighty laid forth the will of God unto man in that garden. Adam and Eve, mankind, the church, the will of God for the church was laid in the garden of Eden. And the will of God for the church, for mankind, was that mankind be totally and absolutely obedient to God's command, God's instruction, to God the Father. Genesis, beloved people. Genesis chapter 2. The will of God for the church. That's where I want to begin from to handle the mechanism that we have begun. What does it mean to crucify the flesh? Genesis chapter 2, beloved people. Genesis chapter 2. Submitting to the will of God. The will of God for the church. Genesis 2, I will read from 15 to 17. And he says, The Lord took man, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, 
You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when you eat of it, you will surely die. Hey. King James. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying of every tree of the garden, Thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was the will of God for the church right at creation. That what? That man may be obedient to God. It's all about obedience. Obey God. And in the same garden of Eden, mankind rejects the will of God. And we don't have time, that's why I'm jumping to Genesis 3 verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing the eye, meaning lustful of the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, look the back door now, she took some and ate it. Look at the disobedience right there. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. He ate it, beloved people. Hey! Right from square one, beloved people. Right from square number one. The will of God, because Christ the Messiah said, Father, this cup is unbearable to me. In another garden, in another garden, he goes there to cry to the Father and say, this cup is unbearable. I cannot manage this. I can't bear this. Why? Because God's wrath was poured on him. God had hidden his face away from him. God's judgment was upon the Messiah. He carried the weight of all iniquity, the iniquity of the universe. How heavy. That condition, no human being, no person on this earth can carry. The entire sin and iniquity of the entire universe, of all humanity. He was therefore drowned in sorrows. The curse of the father whom he knew was on him and he feared it. Hey. And he said, I cannot bear this. I cannot carry this. my father, however difficult it be, but if it is for the sake of your 
saying, what a mighty day today. So this is very powerful, beloved people. Why do I say so? Because right away now we see that the mediator of the covenant, the messenger of the covenant of grace, he finally came. And when he came to the point at which he wanted to reveal the true covenant of the cross, of the blood, then he takes to only a few. Those that have beheld the glory at transfiguration have seen his glory that the Father has apportioned him. Only they have the reverence, the fear, the understanding, the deeper eternal understanding of him and his mission, of who he is. And he says, the garden of Gethsemane, where he came to restore obedience to the will of God that had been lost in Genesis chapter 2 verse 6, all the way to Genesis 3, we read it, Genesis 2 15, 17, Genesis 3 verse 6, the fall the will of God was laid before the church. Obedience. Obedience, obedience, obedience to God. And you will see eternity. And mankind in the garden of heaven rejected the will of God. And disobeyed God. The Messiah now comes to the garden of Gethsemane. And he says that if it be your will, my father, I will do it that I may restore the will of God. Then he says, however, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Meaning, there is this constant conflict between the flesh and the spirit. So, I have to, if I have to crucify the flesh, that the will of God be done, so be it, I will do it now. However difficult. And that's why you see that when the Messiah is now crucified in John chapter 19, 28 to 30, then he says, it is finished. Why? Why? Because the crucifying of the flesh we are handling today is then finished. Then he says, now even the church can now crucify. I have now finished it. And see eternity. Hey. In other words, the messenger of the covenant, when there was conflict, when he said, Father, I can't manage this, then he began now, he began to betray, to reveal the weakness of the human nature. That's why he said, the flesh is at conflict with the spirit. The spirit wants to go and obey, but the flesh is weak, is fearful, is overweight, and sorrowful, overwhelmed. 
teaching the current church that the true meaning of crucifying your flesh is a total submission to the will of God the Father. And Christ the Messiah in the garden of obedience, garden of Gethsemane, garden of obedience, he was now able to blot out, to atone, to bear propitiation, to pay for the appeasing of God on the disobedience you saw in the garden of Eden that brought death. Hey. He says, for the church to crucify her flesh, it calls for obedience to the will of God. That is the message to enter the will of God that she disobeyed and rejected in the garden. In the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of righteousness, the garden of obedience, the garden of suffering, the garden of self-denial. He taught the church a lesson. He said, if you are going to be revealed to this treasured covenant of the grace, the covenant of salvation, the covenant of eternity, if you are going to be holy, you have to enter the will of God to the point of self-denial, like he did. However difficult, oh, and I'm saying with all my thoughts, all my lungs, beloved people, at the garden of righteousness, the garden of rejection, Gethsemane, he submitted himself fully to the will of God to teach the present day church the meaning of crucifixion. And once he did that, nothing went back again. Everything went forward until he was crucified, until he said, it is finished. John chapter 19, verse 28. How blessed, beloved people, and saying it with all my strength, all my bones. John 19, 28 to 30. This is what he says. Later knowing that all was now completed. What was completed? That prophecy had been completed. What was completed? That the sins of men had been fully paid for. All the debt that was owed to God Almighty by the sinful of men in failing to obey his will at the garden of Eden was now fully paid for. That now the church had been fully submitted to the will of God. Obedience. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge on it, 
in it, put the sponge on the stock of the hyssop, the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had reached and received, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I don't want to give you the details. I don't want to give you the details of the conversation on the mountain of transfiguration. But the little I can give the sketch, the assurance, the instruction he that speaks with you is preview of the total conversation and everything that took place there. At that mountain of transfiguration, there's the assurance also that it is secure. You can go and do it. It is secure. Let us move on, beloved people. He says, God's will for mankind was that mankind fully submit to him, the church. And that raises serious questions on the present day church. Because he's saying that salvation of the cross, salvation of the grace, Salvation of the Holy Spirit is equal to the crucifixion of the flesh, which is essentially equal to total obedience to the will of God. But when you look at the church today, do you see the will of God? Is it the will of God that the women dress like that? Is it the will of God that the false prophets go and lie like that and harvest money. Is it the will of God that false apostles defile the church? Is it the will of God that false prophecy, false teaching, that sin be built in church? All that sin, all that behavior is characteristic of the garden of Eden, the garden of sin, the garden of pleasure, the pleasures of this world. The garden of disobedience, beloved people. The garden of the two cherubim flaming swords. In other words, separation from God. The garden of punishment. To be punished. Christ Jesus at the garden of Gethsemane. He took only the remnant. Peter. John and James, the ones to whom it has been revealed the glory of the future, the glory of the Messiah. Could it be true that the reason the church is where she is is because she has not been prepared, she has not prepared herself, she has not beheld the glory of the Messiah. She has not crucified. She cannot. She can't perceive. She can't even see the importance. 
cannot see the need for the price. Father, if it is your will, let this cup be passed from me, be taken away from me. Death the money. A bitter cup. essentially saying that for all those that will behold this Christian salvation of the grace, there is a bitter cup. There is a bitter cup of God that you must partake of. The cup of rejection by your family for being holy. by your friends. The cup of going for interview and dressing holy and they say no, we cannot take that dressing. We have a dressing code in this bank, in this company, in this restaurant. We don't want that type of dressing. You would have to dress like us. Say no, but I'm born again. Say no, for that matter we don't give you the job. So you are still, you are employed again. They have not given you the job. And you've taken three years, five years unemployed. They have rejected you. The cup of rejection because you are saying, okay, I take that contract, I'm a lawyer, I can do that contract with you, but I will not submit to corruption. They say if you don't submit to what we want, we are not giving you the contract. You are without the contract again. The cup, the bitter cup of rejection. Everybody that beholds the salvation of Jesus, everybody that crucifies the flesh must drink of the bitter cup of God. What a mighty large hour message. Eleven minutes to go. And I'm rushing because tomorrow I'll come back and widen it. I'm only giving you a sketch of this message here. This is becoming a continuing story. Even just that copy the whole summer. Even that falling on the ground when he fell on the ground. The reverend, the crying, bitter crying to the father for him to answer. Showing the church. The bitter cup in the garden of Gethsemane that the Lord talks about. The cup of looking strange. That boy looks strange. That man looks strange. That lawyer looks, that doctor is strange. That nurse is strange. That teacher is strange. When we go to McDonald's, we are walking there. She remains alone in the, in the office. She says, no, I'm not going for lunch, I'm fasting today. She looks strange. She is dressed strange. Her lifestyle is strange. When we go on Friday for wine and pizza, for get-together, office work, she's away. She says, no, I have Bible study in the church. She is strange. The cast of looking strange to this world. Hey. The cast of being stereotyped. The cup of holy dressing, the cup of fasting, beloved people. I am fasting <laughs> to crucify the flesh. Jesus essentially warned the church, beloved people. In that message on crucifying the flesh, he warned the church that the troubles and the problems of this world, they are much less deadlier. Whatever you go through as a church, and crucify the flesh. It is much less deadlier 
understand that your patient you talked about. Stay awake and pray that you are not tempted. Be patient. Look at these beloved people. Let me put it this way. The Messiah. He is here in this garden of Gethsemane. And he's bearing, he's carrying the entire sin of the entire human race, even those children not yet born. Future generation. All that iniquity, absolutely tremendous outweighing on him. Overbearing on him. The tremendous weight and suffering that he was going to go through. Continue because of bigger scriptures I want to handle Isaiah 53, Isaiah 51, John 5:19. The 
there is free conversation here. Not my will, but your will. The restoring of the will of God. That is the point at which God wants the church to be. After crucifying the flesh, then the will of God is totally done in the church. You see the believers walking holy in the marketplace. They are now wearing long skirts. They are now covering themselves. They know this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. They are evangelizing through just their lifestyle without speaking a word. They are pursuing the holy way, the righteous way, the narrow way. They are not involved in coarse jobs. They are not involved in playing around. They, they are not walking in the same direction as those going to hell. The church that has been redeemed is the church that has crucified the flesh, the church that in which in whom the will of God that was rejected in the Garden of Eden has been restored in the Garden of Gethsemane. May the Lord bless you. Shalom, Todara, by Hebrew. Thank you very much. May God keep you. Repeat after me if you so will. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I receive the Lord Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. And I repent of all my sins. And I ask my Father that your will be done in my life, that I may see eternity with God. So tomorrow I will explore this further, because I will look at even the prayer. When he says, our Father is in heaven. And then at one point he says, your will be done on earth as if it is in heaven. Jesus will talk about this mission. Tomorrow we'll talk about it. May the Lord bless you. Shalom.